As we then turn our attention to the reading and then the expounding of the Word of God this morning, we read from two passages of Scripture, the first being from the psalm of which we just sang, Psalm 133. In the Pew Bible, you can find this on page 715. After we read from that passage, we'll then turn to the words of our text, uh, the concluding verses of the epistle that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, Ephesians 6, verses 21 through 24. And again, in the Pew Bible, you find this on page 1,347. We read first then from Psalm 133. You'll notice that it is given the heading, A Song of Ascents. And by way of reminder, these would be songs that Israel, uh, the covenant community, the church as she found herself expressed in the Old Testament, these are songs that they especially would have sang together as they made their pilgrimages up to Jerusalem uh, to worship their God. It's a psalm of David, and it reads as follows. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon, descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. We turn then to Ephesians 6, beginning at verse 21. But that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs, and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. A congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, last words or parting words can be most powerful words. Maybe you've experienced this in your life. Maybe you've sat or stood by the deathbed of a loved one as they spoke their last words to you. Especially if a person knows that they are the last words. There is a certain solemnity, both in speaking them and in hearing them. What we have in some measure as we come to the conclusion of this epistle are the last words of the Apostle Paul to the church, to the Christians in Ephesus. A Paul is coming near to the end of his life. And although he may not know exactly the details of how his life will conclude, he knows that he has far, far more days behind him than ahead of him. He has written this epistle that we've considered together over the past months, of course, underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he's focused on the theme of the church, the the gathered assembly of the people of God. And he's laid out certain theological truths about the church, her many benefits and blessings, privileges that belong to her because of God's sovereign grace. 
and then he's transitioned into certain duties or certain responsibilities for the church. Implications, you might say, based upon the realities of our benefits. And so he's addressed how the church ought to live together, and in many ways you, you could put over all of his moral imperatives this, the church ought to live together in unity with a oneness of spirit. That's why I chose to read Psalm 133. Behold, or, or look, or perceive, pause and consider how blessed it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And this unity is even more precious when experienced in the midst of conflict. Paul has been describing how the church is engaged in this intense spiritual warfare. He has indicated that the church wrestles uh, not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual hosts of darkness. We are reminded of Peter's words that the devil goes about as a roaring lion seeking those whom he may devour. And, and that's the, the setting, that's the context in which we have then been encouraged and exhorted to put on the whole armor of God that we might stand. But now the Apostle Paul draws to a conclusion. And he emphasizes this reality that standing in the midst of battle is assisted when you stand as a band of brothers. And we don't use brothers to the exclusion of sisters. I've never served in the military. I haven't done much study of military matters. But I have read and have heard the reports of soldiers who would indicate that when they go into battle, Yes, they rely upon the training that they have received, and they fight for the love of country. But in the thickest of the battles, many of them testify that they fight for the man standing next to them. This band of brotherhood. That's what the Apostle Paul mentions in his closing word of comfort. And that's the theme that we want to consider this morning, a closing word of comfort. Noticing, first of all, the brotherly relation behind the comfort, and then secondly, the spiritual nature of the comfort, and then thirdly, the ultimate basis of the comfort. So a closing word of comfort, the brotherly relation, the spiritual nature, and the ultimate basis companionship is so important. May I ask you this morning, do you have a spiritual companion? Do you have spiritual companions, plural? The Apostle Paul had a few. He mentions one of them by name, Tychicus. Tychicus was Paul's spiritual companion. Others had deserted Paul. You think of Demas, 
who had left Paul, loving the world more than the things of God. But Tychicus was standing with Paul through thick and thin. A few details about this brotherly relation. Tychicus was a a spiritual son or brother, whichever word you want to refer, to the Apostle Paul. He was a companion of Paul, co-laboring alongside of Paul, in the harness together, we might say, to use a somewhat antiquated figure of speech, pulling at the harnesses of the gospel ministry alongside of the Apostle Paul as a minister of the gospel. If you reference on your own time Acts 20, verse 4, you'll see there that Tychicus is faithfully traveling with Paul on Paul's third missionary journey. And now our text shows Tychicus there, right next to the Apostle Paul, receiving this epistle to the Ephesians in the function of a courier, uh, bringing not only the epistle but also his own personal communication from Paul to the church in Ephesus. Tychicus was a man who was marked by spiritual integrity. He was not a fair-weather fan. He didn't follow Paul only for a season. He didn't co-labor with the Apostle Paul only when things were convenient or when things were easy or when things were apparently successful. Tychicus was a man with spiritual integrity, but also with a steadfastness. And so it's a a proper conclusion, because you remember that Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul emphasizes the, the, the need to stand fast. And that's exactly what Tychicus was doing by the sovereign grace of God working itself out in his life. He was standing fast in the gospel ministry. He was standing fast as a co-laborer with the Apostle Paul. He was standing fast as a friend of Paul, a co-laborer in this band of brotherhood. And there's a few lessons that we can learn from this. The first lesson is that there is such a thing as a spiritual brotherhood and or sisterhood. Spiritual companionship in the Lord. And you can see this in other examples within Scripture as well. You can think of David and Jonathan. Brothers in the faith steadfast brothers in the faith. But here we have Paul and Tychicus, one in the faith. There is such a thing as spiritual bonds. And congregation, these spiritual bonds are important. They're necessary. They're advantageous. The danger is what we call the lone wolf mentality that sometimes is even celebrated within our culture. The mentality that I am a rock, I am an island. I have need of no one. I can get by well on my own. 
is a dangerous lie. It's interesting, even if you look at various secular studies, even the United Kingdom has declared a certain pandemic of loneliness. Loneliness. And there's even a medical diagnosis that an individual can die from a broken heart brought on by loneliness. Loneliness is best remedied by the recognition of this brotherly relation, of having companions in the gospel, a companionship that oftentimes is found in the home. You can begin with the most basic, essential building block of the home of a husband and a wife who are one in the Lord. And as I make my way through uh, this section, I offer simply a few points of application, especially for the young people. Seek to marry only in the Lord. Of course, that is a biblical command, but it is a biblical command because it is so important that husband and wife be one in the Lord so that they might have this spiritual companionship. And that then if God blesses them with children, that those children might also be covenant children who belong to the Lord so that the entire family might be one in the Lord. Now that doesn't eliminate immediately all of the potential disagreements that, that come with life underneath the sun, but it does give a common basis with which to work way through those differences. And so the family unit of the Christian home must be one that recognizes this unity in the Lord. And as you move out then, uh, the friendships that we establish and maintain ought especially I wouldn't argue exclusively, but ought especially to be friendships in the Lord. And here again, a, a point of application to young people. The, the friends that you make, the friendships that you keep, will be very, very important in determining whether your life's path is one that is favorable or not favorable. The company you keep, the friendships, make sure that there is the basis of a common faith in the Lord. Tychicus stood by the Apostle Paul, so we also ought to stand next to each other with a certain interest, with a certain investment. Now, I don't mean by some type of nosy judgmentalism that out of just some unsanctified curiosity we peer into what's going on in other people's lives so that we can gossip about it, that we can vainly speculate about it. That type of a spirit, although common, is most unhelpful. What I mean is the commitment 
the sincere interest in your brother or your sister's spiritually speaking life? Do you know the power, the impact, that just simply caring about someone can have for that person? Just knowing that there's someone who would be there for you, even when others deserted you. The strength that this can give, especially to those who might find themselves in pressing circumstances. The shut-in who knows that they will be visited. They will be encouraged. The widow who knows that she will not be forgotten. Of course, by the Lord, but also by the Lord's people. The young person who's faced with all of the uncertainties of their life's decisions that are coming upon them so fast that knows that there are mature, older members of the congregation who will just simply smile, give a word of encouragement, give a word of advice. These things are so valuable in the life of the Christian and in the life of the Christian congregation. You could apply this also to the context of the church, the elder who knows that the other elders have his back, so to speak, the deacon who knows he co-labors with like-minded men. It gives a certain strength, a certain resilience, and yet, this is not just simply something external. In our second point, you'll notice the spiritual nature of the comfort. The Apostle Paul identifies his beloved brother and faithful minister, Tychicus. But he continues on in verse 22, "...whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs, and that he may comfort your hearts." That he may comfort your hearts. How? By satisfying the Ephesians' curiosity of the events in the Apostle Paul's life? Well, well, notice the Apostle Paul continues it. He says in verse 23, peace to the brethren and love with faith. You see, this is the spiritual nature of this comfort that the Apostle Paul longs to communicate to the church at Ephesus. The comfort that comes from recognizing peace and experiencing love. What is peace? Peace could be defined as a, a harmony, a harmony between spiritual brothers and sisters. It, it involves the absence of conflict, but it's more than just that. You know, there can be the absence of conflict with inner hostility still lingering. Uh, you could think of the Korean conflict, and when it finally came time, uh, when both sides, so to speak, recognized the desirability uh, of a ceasefire, 
the military exercises ceased. There was an absence of conflict. The guns stopped, you might say. But was there peace? Not in the fullness of the word. The guns stopped, but there was still that that inner hostility, one side to the other side. Uh, What peace is, is in addition to the absence of conflict, the experience of reconciliation and the unity that comes when one recognizes that there is this reconciliation. And this reconciliation, of course, is first and foremost between ourselves and our God based upon the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, as the Apostle Paul has laid out in his opening chapters of Ephesians. But then, having been reconciled with God, and this is what I want to try to emphasize at this point, if we are reconciled with God because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, then also, to a certain extent, we will be reconciled to those who are also reconciled to God. There is a a certain logical relationship that if I am reconciled to God through the grace and the mercy shown to me through Jesus Christ, and if this person over on this side, sitting in that pew, is also reconciled to God because of the work and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then if we are both reconciled to the one God by the one person, Jesus Christ, then there will be, to a certain extent, the reality that we will be at peace one with another. Especially, especially the more our eyes of faith are fixed upon Jesus Christ. Because if we're both living this life of faith, if we're both fixated upon the grace and the mercy and the glory of God, shown to us through Jesus Christ, we will naturally, you might say, be drawn closer together. And and differences between us will be put into a proper perspective as we recognize the commonality that we have. You can think of how this applies in, in an earthly family, among siblings, I mean, the one brother might say, well, I'm different than the other brother in this way or in that way. And the one sister might say, well, I'm different than the other sister in this way or in that way. It might be uh, differences in interest, differences in gifts, differences in, in all sorts of things. And yet those differences, when put in proper perspective, are very, very minor in comparison to the similarities. Similarities that they belong to one family that they have one name, that they are one. And it grieves at time to hear about the petty differences that Christians allow to be the major focus in their lives. Oh, you know, me and him, we just never got along because way back when this happened. Really? Have you considered the grace and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ lately? Would that perhaps put those petty differences into the proper perspective? Do you think the Apostle Paul and Tychicus always agreed every single day on every single matter? I don't know that there have ever been two persons in this world who have ever agreed 
all of the time. But Paul and Tychicus were shoulder to shoulder in the gospel. And so ought we to be, shoulder to shoulder in the gospel, having our hearts comforted, peace to the brethren. And I want to ask you this morning, and I ask myself the same question, are you at peace with the brethren? Sometimes I think we forget the command of our Lord Jesus Christ that if we were to come to a worship service and remember that there was unreconciled differences, what does Christ say? Leave your gift at the altar. Go and be reconciled. And then, then come and worship. Have you and I ever entered into an hour of worship unreconciled with a brother or a sister? We shouldn't have. How, how can this happen? I mean, peace is not easily attained. Notice that Paul says, love. Peace to the brethren and love with faith. This love could be described as an attitude and action of a certain selflessness. If you could pick one word to be a synonym of love, you could make a good argument that selflessness would be the one word synonym. Not selfishness, but selflessness. God so loved the world that he gave. And if God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, doesn't that show us something of the nature of love? peace and love, but notice what the text says, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not just something that we stir up within our own hearts through some type of moral exercises. Paul points out that the source of this nature of spiritual comfort comes from God, because grace, grace is more than just a theological word. It's more than just some vague concept. Grace is a power. A power that brings an impact. A power that changes. A power that transforms. A, a very person. From the inside out. Grace changes hearts. Irresistibly. And this grace is given from God. And as this grace is given, it transforms the heart of the individual who receives this grace so that that person then begins and continues to exercise faith. And along with the exercise of faith, which again is this saving knowledge and this trust in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, along with the exercise of faith, there is also then the display of the fruits of faith. 
Where faith is evident, it will be evident along with its fruits. And one of those fruits include a love. A love, of course, for God, but a love for the family of God. I want to read just a couple of passages from 1 John. I've kind of woven them together. The references are from 1 John 3, verse 13, then verse 14, and then 1 John 4, verse 7. It says, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life. We know that we have been changed, the Apostle John is saying. We know that grace has been effectual because we love the brethren. How do you know that you've passed from death to life, from spiritual death to life? Because you love the brethren. He who, John continues, does not love his brother abides in death. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Do you love the brethren? If so, you have passed from death to life. By the grace of God. And that is our third point, the ultimate basis of the comfort. Notice how the Apostle Paul concludes his epistle in verse 24. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. If you just want to flip back or you can trust me, I'll read it as it is. Ephesians 1 verse 2. This is how the Apostle Paul began his epistle grace to you and peace from God our Father. Notice how he ends it. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Now the Apostle Paul didn't just do this repetition because he was stuck in a rut, as writers sometimes get, always using the same words and using the same phrases. No, we believe that all Scripture is given by inspiration, that each word is breathed out by the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit would have the Apostle Paul begin and end his communication to the church in Ephesus with an emphasis upon grace. It is the bookends and congregation. Grace must always be the beginning and the end of our identity as a church, our emphasis in all aspects of our lives. Let us never, let us never tire of speaking about grace of preaching about grace, of, of being eager to hear sermons about grace, uh, of, of praising our God together for His grace, uh, of basking in His grace, of showing also evidence of His grace. Let's also ask this question. And I, I've, I've thought about this question as I, I heard it some time ago. Uh, in a book I was reading, uh, and the author encouraged individuals to ask the question, how do other people experience me? What, what is their experience of me? Now, we as a church, 
how do, how do people experience us? Do they experience us as a group of people who are mesmerized by God's grace, who emphasize God's grace, who speak of God's grace, who love God's grace, and who show evidence of God's grace. Because we profess to be those who have received God's grace. And it is that grace that will bring about this bond of spiritual brotherhood. And it is that grace that will enable us to continue to live together in peace and in unity and in love. But notice in closing that this grace is given exclusively to those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Now, it's not, the grace is not given to those because, on account of, so don't think that people first love the Lord Jesus Christ, and then because they have loved the Lord Jesus Christ, they are gifted grace. The gift of grace is first. Those who receive the gift of grace then have a love for the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul adds, insincerity. Because there's always the danger, congregation, of professors who are not possessors. Of people who speak about grace and who maybe even theologically debate details about grace, but who have not received grace. Well, how do you know if you have received grace? Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? If not, one brief word to anyone who may hear these words. If you don't love the Lord Jesus Christ, I call you with earnestness, lay down your arms of rebellion. Call upon him. Because the answer to the question, what must I do to be saved, is the same today as it was thousands of years ago when the Philippian jailer, at the point of despair when he was debating taking his own life, when he said, what must I do to be saved? The message was, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. To the people of God, you love the Lord Jesus Christ. That's evidence of God's grace. Love also the people of God, the spiritual companions, your brothers and sisters in the faith. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we do glory in your grace. We ask, Lord, that you would give us fresh insight, 
additional insight, more mature understanding of the reality of your love and of your grace and of your mercy, not only in our minds, but in our very heart of hearts. And Father, we ask for forgiveness for the times in which we have not been loving one towards another, the times in which we have been at war even within the camp of the, the church. Uh, Lord, may we recognize the, the foolishness and the danger of such actions and attitudes. And as we focus more and more upon the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, may that also give us a gracious spirit towards our fellow brothers and sisters in the faith. So bless these words to that end. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.